Chapter 54 Ithaca From the comfort of De Vere's family apartment, a short ten-minute walk to the old city, we explored Jerusalem. We lost ourselves in the labyrinth of streets inside its walls and found hidden among them the city's timeless soul. We added our steps to the millions who had smoothed down its cobblestones and left our imprint. Time stood still here, but the echo of this city's glory and turbulence still rang in every stone wall. I was surprised to see the old city divided into quarters, Christian, Armenian, Muslim, and Jewish. The Jewish quarter was the most modern, clean, and quiet. Most of the shops were closed, and there was little sign of life in the streets and the squares. Security forces were especially visible here, patrolling the streets in pairs, sporting bulletproof vests, helmets, and machine guns. The Muslim quarter was by far the most animated, especially during the days of the open market. At those times, the streets were not filled with souvenir vendors, but with those selling necessities such as food, clothing, and household items. The smell of exotic spices mixed with the smell of sweat and packed humanity. Brightly colored fabrics reflected off brass and silver trays and pots. Young boys and old men walked to the streets, clinking small coffee cups, calling people to coffee in a ritual as ancient as the call to prayer. The city was alive to me then and infused with a magic that I longed to see everywhere. Beyond those days, however, the Muslim quarter was as lonely as the other quarters. Vendors polished and cleaned their wares. They perched on their storefront stools, greeting passers-by in every imaginable language, inviting them to tea, trying to entice them to buy anything. Sadness and fatigue hovered in the air and tinged every contact we made, leaving me feeling melancholy. We visited all the biblical and historic sites in and around Jerusalem. Everything was grand and beautiful, but I had seen enough physical structures during our walk and now sought a deeper spiritual connection, something that would inspire a new wisdom or a revelation about my next steps. In every place we went, I stopped and meditated, trying to feel the presence not only of Jesus, but of all the great prophets who had been there. We reserved a special visit to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Catholic site of the crucifixion and tomb of Jesus, agreeing that it was the most appropriate place to leave the many objects entrusted to us throughout our pilgrimage. Photos of deceased loved ones, a Croatian candle for peace, a silver heart from lovers now separated, a one-euro coin to light a candle for peace. A priest honored our request, also offering us candles to light for friends and family, which we did, and fulfilling our promise to all those who had entrusted us with their treasured hopes and wishes. But I was still no closer to discovering what I wanted to do with my life. I had imagined arriving in Jerusalem, brimming with confidence and answers for peace, and then working in projects that inspired me. But now that I was here, I wasn't sure that was still my dream. I scoured the internet for peace organizations and was surprised and impressed by the number of cross-cultural and multi-religious groups in both Israel and Palestine working for peace. 
Well, why don't the media report on their efforts? I thought in anger. The more I searched, however, the less interested I became. Their work was admirable, but didn't inspire me as I had hoped it would. I felt weary and restless, desperate for a clear answer, and disappointed that I wasn't finding it in my ideals and dreams. Alberto was ever supportive. You know I don't feel any attraction for living in Jerusalem, he said gently one night after yet another marathon session at the Internet Cafe. But if living here and working for peace was the dream that inspired you to start this walk, then keep looking until you find something that feels good and that fits with who you are. I support you in whatever you choose. I had wept in his arms that night, comforted by his love and devastated by my indecision. I was free to live my dream. The only problem was that I no longer knew what that dream was. Alberto's search was decidedly more inner-focused than mine and delved into esoteric topics that I didn't understand. He seemed especially intrigued by a so-called white brotherhood who he explained were teachers and masters who once lived on earth but then ascended from this physical reality and now, from their spiritual planes, helped humanity in its spiritual evolution. Do you remember my promise to the universe long before we met to be an instrument of love? He asked rhetorically over dinner one night, after enthusing about the teachings of yet another master. To my nod of affirmation, he went on, I made this promise through a book that I coincidentally received during that time and which deeply impacted me. In a spiritual ceremony that the book describes, I pledged to use my life in the service of love and with that, opened myself to receive help from higher planes of consciousness. In an enthusiasm that couldn't be contained, Alberto continued, Moni, today, searching the internet, I learned that I made that pledge with this white brotherhood. I realize now that the help that I've been receiving during this walk, the invisible friends that I've often referred to, are them. My wariness and lukewarm response did not dampen his interest or quest to learn more. While I dawdled and struggled with my next steps, Alberto seemed to be getting increasingly clearer messages about his path. One morning, he awakened and immediately reached for his notepad, writing furiously. Last night, before going to bed, he said, I asked to remember my dreams and to receive through them any messages that I needed to hear at this moment. I just had a dream where I was digging somewhere in the desert and found a key. I feel my dream is telling me that I'm close to finding my greatest treasure. The following morning, I woke to find a visibly shaken Alberto writing in his diary yet again. I had another dream, he said. This time, in the dream, I once again found the key to the treasure. But it was under the mattress where we're now sleeping. Don't you see? The treasure that we had walked all the way to Jerusalem to find was always with us. But we needed to walk all the way to Jerusalem to discover that. Well then, why keep searching if all the answers are inside of you? I asked. Because I want to find those who have discovered this before me. He replied with passion, It's one thing to know that I'm a creator and another to live it. 
For example, I know that a master would have been able to cross that border into Israel. I want to know where I failed. Try to understand that for me, it's not about crossing a border, but being able to transcend matter. On the internet, I'm finding examples of so many masters who have done this, and not just Jesus and Buddha. The Freemasons, Theosophists, the Christian metaphysics movements, and many more groups have all had contact with who I believe are the ascended masters. They all teach the same thing, but in different ways. One truth, many paths. They were all people like us, Moni, who transcended this illusion. They ascended and who are now helping us from the other side to do the same. It was just too out there for me. He was talking about ascension while I only wanted to know my next steps. We seem to be living in two different worlds. Our favorite spot had become Dominus Flavit, where Jesus wept for Jerusalem. We spent a great deal of time there, enjoying the magnificent views it afforded. Perhaps I was drawn to it because I too felt that I was grieving a terrible loss, unable to comprehend why this Jerusalem I had walked so far to find was no longer inspiring me. It was during one of those visits, sitting on the rough stone ledge overlooking the city, our feet dangling into the valley below, that Alberto handed me a piece of paper. I found something on the internet that might help you in your search, he said. I carried the first paragraph with me the whole way, but only today found the entire poem. It's by Constantine Kavafi. Read it. As you set out for Ithaca, hope the voyage is a long one, full of adventure, full of discovery. Lystroginians and Cyclops, angry Poseidon, don't be afraid of them. You'll never find things like that on your way as long as you keep your thoughts raised high, as long as a rare excitement stirs your spirit and your body. Lystroginians and Cyclops, wild Poseidon, you won't encounter them unless you bring them along inside your soul, unless your soul sets them up in front of you. Hope the voyage is a long one. May there be many a summer morning when, with what pleasure, what joy, you come into harbor seen for the first time. May you stop at Phoenician trading stations to buy fine things, mother of pearl and coral, amber and ebony, sensual perfume of every kind, as many sensual perfumes as you can. And may you visit many Egyptian cities to gather stores of knowledge from their scholars. Keep Ithaca always in your mind. Arriving there is what you are destined for, but do not hurry the journey at all. Better if it lasts for years. So you are old by the time you reach the island, wealthy with all that you have gained on the way, not expecting Ithaca to make you rich. Ithaca gave you the marvelous journey. Without her, you would not have set out. She has nothing left to give you now. And if you find her poor, Ithaca won't have fooled you. Wise as you will have become, so full of experience, you will have understood by then what these Ithacas mean.